Whoever's here is here. Whoever isn't. I'm reading Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, to the faithful saints of Christ Jesus at Ephesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the Beloved One. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to, according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heavens and things on earth in him. In him we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will, so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you also believed, were seated in him with the promised Holy Spirit. He is the down payment for our inheritance until the redemption of the, of the possession to the praise of his glory. Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer uh, one more time. Father God, we thank you again for this day. God, we thank you... Um, God, for a chance to look into your word um, as we as we begin this this study of Ephesians. Um, God, we ask that over the next weeks and months that you would open your word to us. God, that we would see um, all the treasures that you have in store for us, specifically in um, the book of Ephesians. God, as we as we talked about last week, um, uh, there is uh, an epic quality um, to to the things that we are, are going to look into, God. And so we ask that you would. Um, God, awaken our hearts, awaken our um, interests, awaken uh, our perceptions, stir up our affections for these things, God, so that we would see them rightly and be uh, emboldened by them, encouraged by them, and live our lives um, according to them. God, specifically, we ask now um, that you would shine the light of your Holy Spirit um, on this text, that through the Holy Spirit we would see it rightly, understand it rightly, and apply it rightly to our lives. God, thank you for um, this time. Thank you for your word. We ask that you bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, so last week um, I had this sort of big, long intro about me being a nerd. Um, we don't have time for big, long intros about me being a nerd this week, right? we got to jump right into it because this text honestly deserves about three or four sermons probably, and, and we're going to give it one. So we're, gonna, we're just going to start going, and I'm going to try to try to move as quickly as I can, and we're going to touch on some things, and hopefully you will have a chance to talk about them more in small groups and things like that um, over the, uh, the coming week, and really to meditate on these things um, over the course of, of – 
of the rest of the series and obviously the rest of your lives, right? Um, because the stuff that we're getting into, again, kind of like we talked about last week, is truly epic. The scope that we see in this first few verses of Ephesians chapter 1 literally is from eternity past to eternity future. That's the stretch of the things that we see, right? Um, we see... Um, the mind of God, you could say, before creation, and we see the the eternal um, glorification of his people on the other end. We see the whole spectrum um, in this one little passage. And so that's a big chunk to cover in 35 to 40 minutes. 45 minutes, okay. Um, and so, we're, But we're going to try to go. We're going to try to hit it, okay? So here's the idea that I kind of want as, as sort of a thesis kind of statement for this passage, right? That the God of all wisdom and all grace has blessed us at the four points of our greatest need in Christ. All right, that's kind of the idea that we're looking at as we go through this passage, okay? And and sort of as 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 to, be, to begin, I want you to notice something about this passage in general. And that is this, it is about worship. Okay, this passage is about worship. Typically, when Paul writes one of his letters, he starts off with a greeting, right? He does that in this letter too. But then typically, he immediately after that goes into kind of a thanksgiving section, all right? He doesn't do that in Ephesians. Instead, in its place is this, is this thing that we recognize from reading the Old Testament. And that is um, this word baraka, which basically means a, a statement of blessing. Okay, And you see this formula all the times in the Old Testament. You see it especially in the Psalms a lot of times. And it's something like this. Blessed be God for, and then something that God has done or some characteristic about God. Right? That's, that's the formula. Okay? Um, except what happens, it's usually about a sentence long, right? Blessed be God because he has forgiven us of our sin. Blessed be God because he has heard our prayers or something like that. The difference with this passage is, is, the praise that he gives is, is something that amounts to basically, as far as we can tell, the longest sentence in the written Greek language. Okay? Talking about, you know, Homer and the classics and the Bible and antiquity, everything. This is the longest single sentence in Greek literature. And it is basically Paul vomiting praise, okay? He is just, it's coming out of him like he can't stop it, okay? Like he says, blessed be God, and then he can't stop talking, right? He can't just say, bless God because he loves us. Bless God because he saved. He can't just say that. He just runs on, and you have this 202-word-long sentence um, in the Greek of this blessing of God, right? And so it starts out this way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Okay, that's the beginning of it, right? And then the rest of it is kind of an elaboration of that. Notice something. In that first sentence, blessed is used in two different ways. It's the same word, but it's used differently, right? So there's the first that says, blessed be God, and then who has blessed us? God blessed us, that is, he conferred his benefits on us, but God is blessed, Right. So we acknowledge his goodness, his grace and ascribe praise to him. OK. And so the word's the same word, but it's used kind of in two different ways in that first thing. And notice 
some of the points, and this is just sort of kind of general get, get a feel for the passage kind of comments. Notice some of the things that keep on getting repeated throughout this passage. Number one, G, uh, uh, God's glory is exalted three times. So in verse 12 and 14, it says, to the praise of his glory. Same phrase. And then in verse 6, it says, to the praise of his glorious grace. So three times in just these few verses, 11 verses, um, God's glory is exalted three times. Then three times his wise sovereign will is emphasized. So in verse five, it says, according to the purpose of his will. In verse eight, he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, right? Talking about God's wisdom in, in making these decisions um, in accordance with his will. And then verse 11, the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. All right. And so what do you notice there? You see three things, a trinity of of references, you could say. Right. A trinity of references to God's glory and a trinity of references to God's sovereign, wise will. Okay. in fact, that triune kind of emphasis is how a lot of people see this passage broken down. A lot of people, if you read different commentators, they will sort of break this passage down into a Trinitarian kind of formula. So they'll talk about in verse 3 through 6 what the Father has done, in verse 7 through 12 what the Son has done, in verse 13 and 14 what the Spirit has done. And that's sort of how they see it. And that's one way. I don't think there's anything wrong with doing it that way. But I'm going to do, I'm going to look at the passage a little bit differently. I'm instead going to look at it and, and organize it, kind of break it down in terms of the in him phrases throughout the book, okay? So there are four of those. The first one actually says in Christ, and then the other three say in him, okay? So that's verses 3, verse 7, verse 11, and verse 13. So you notice, like, for example, in verse 3 it says, Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, okay? Some form of that in him appears like 11 different times. That's significant, okay? Um, but, but what does that in him imply? These spiritual blessings, what do they imply? And what are we talking about? Why is it specifically important for us to hear about all these blessings and then for the Bible to say these blessings are in him, right? These are blessings in Christ. Um, what is the significance of that? What is the significance of saying they are in the heavenly places? Well, several things at least. For one, it points to the fact that Christ is our access point for these things. Okay? These are not general characteristics of God's goodness to us. Right? These are things that can only be found inside Christ. So again, if we listen to the liberal church throughout history, there is always an emphasis on the fatherhood of God, right? God is just, that's how God is. He's naturally loving. He's naturally saving. He's naturally blessing to all people, okay? In the same way, you could say. But this passage points us to something specific. These blessings are blessings in Christ, meaning you cannot have them outside of Christ, Separation from Christ means separation from God and his blessings to the extent that we're, these blessings that we're talking about, okay? So that's at least the first thing that in him points to. Second, another thing, is that Christ is our assurance of those blessings. So again, if these blessings are found in Christ, they are based on his life, right? They are based on his work. 
not on ours. Our blessing is sure because Christ is sure. All right? And so that's another thing that we notice. In him gives us an assurance of these things that we are, that we are going to hear about. And then, and then a third thing, and, and there are obviously probably a lot more things that we could talk about, but, but a third and final thing is that it's a point of common experience. All right? And so if these, if these blessings are in Christ, if that is the point of access, like we said, then it's also the point of communion. That means we all go to Christ for these things. We all meet at Christ for these things, for life, for blessing. We share in the life that Christ gives us. We share in the blessing that Christ gives us, that communal life that we're talking about. And so it's just like we see in, in various places in Scripture, right? We are a body, all of us in here are, are the body of Christ. We are one organism, at least in the illustration that, that we are given in the scriptures, right? We all derive our life and blessing from the same head, and that is Christ, okay? And so th- there's an emphasis there. All those things are pointed out, and probably lots of other things, too, of, of the significance of being in Christ. But it also says something else. It says, of all this stuff, th- these blessings are in the heavenly places, Okay, we have blessings in the heavenly realm or heavenly places. So what's that getting at? Well, I think it's it's trying to say at least this again. Christ is even now dwelling at the right hand of God, the father, right? He is right now um, with God in heaven, with God in eternity. Um, And the things that we have been blessed with are things that are already realities in Christ, and yet they are realities in a place that we are not yet. Okay? And so it's something that we talk about a lot of times in theology, and you hear this term thrown around, the already not yet nature um, of the things that we have in Christ, right? They have begun... They are actual. They're not just hypothetical blessings, right? They're not things that are out there that one day we're going to get to. They have started already, and they are real in the heavenly realms, right? Uh, Jesus is already ascended. He is already reigning with his Father, all right? And so these things have begun, and yet at the same time, they are not fully realized. They have not completely been been realized. And so we see that in all of these characteristics, all these blessings that we're going to look into. We see that kind of dual nature, all right? Things that have been, um, that are actual, things that have begun, and yet at the same time, things that we are not experiencing to the extent that we will one day, all right? And so... That's why I think it, it, it's, it's, it's drawing us to those words. And it's significant, right? In him, in the heavenly places. Those are key, understand, key words to understand this text, right? Notice also that it says we have every spiritual blessing in Christ, all right? Every spiritual blessing. So that's in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So again, every. What does that mean? It means every. It means you have everything you need. That Christ has given you, blessed you with everything that you need in terms of spiritual blessing. All right? So health is a blessing, but it is not necessarily a spiritual blessing. 
Financial security is a blessing, but it's not necessarily a spiritual blessing. Societal peace or familial um, unity or romantic love, those are all blessings, but they're not spiritual blessings, right? He's not talking about that because you are in Christ, everything is going to be easy and good. And for one reason, we know that because do you know where Paul is writing the letter of Ephesians from? He's writing it from prison, right, as far as we can tell, right? Paul has no illusions about these things. This is not kind of like pie-in-the-sky optimism, like, hey, guys, everything's going to be fine because we got Jesus, right? Paul is in a prison, and at this point, probably, he thinks he's going to die there. Now, as far as we can tell, he doesn't, but he thinks he is going to die in this prison, right? This isn't just sort of generic optimism, right? This is boots-on-the-ground hope, okay? Um, This is blessing that is actually at the core of your needs. It's not nebulous uh, platitudes, right? Um, Everything that you have lost and everything that Christ is offering to you, we see in this passage. These key areas of our need. And so, um, you know, because... This is the Southern Baptist sermon. Uh, you're going to get four alliterated points, right? You're going to get four F's, okay, in this passage. Four F's um, that all of them deserve a fuller treatment, right? All of these we could spend a long time on, and yet we're going to try to run through them. But four F's of spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly realms, okay? So the first one is this, family. You have family now. Verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Okay, so the first blessing that we have um, is, is family, you could say. It is belonging. Okay, We have been welcomed in to God's family. Loneliness is one of the most pervasive issues I think we have in our culture. Right, It's getting worse. Right, The things that we keep on trying to make fix the problem are not fixing it. They're actually part of the problem. They're drawing us further apart. Um, but we long to be known, right? to know and to be known, to, to be loved and to love other people. And here's the thing. God promises that kind of belonging because he talks about being adopted into God's family, right? He says, in love, he predestined, predestined before the foundation of the world that you would be adopted into his family because God knows you need that. He knows that you need that belonging and that connection, all right? But notice something else. A rightly ordered family is not just about belonging. Okay, a rightly ordered family is about peace. A rightly ordered family is about unity, you could say. And that's why he prefaces this thing talking about holiness and blameless. Right. What does he say? Notice it again. He chose us before in the before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless. Right. Before he even talks about the adoption, he says, I chose you to be holy and blameless. Okay, why is that? Well, again, peace comes not from doing your own thing, but aligning your life with the common love and values of the family, right? 
So, I mean, you think of like a black sheep kind of scenario, right? You could have a family if you're the black sheep, and you are always welcome in that family, and yet there's always, there's always friction, right? Because you will not go the direction that the family is going. You will not align yourself with the beliefs and the values and, and things like that. We have a culture that says this. What belonging is, is you are accepted no matter who you are. Okay, and 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 that's that's only kind of right. Right. Um, That's not exactly. It's more like you are accepted in spite of who you are. But if you want real family, if you want real belonging, there has to be this aligning yourself with the family. I'm losing my voice. There has to be this aligning yourself with those things. I was trying to think of an illustration. Have any of y'all did you ever any of y'all ever snap peas? Right, you come from a family that had a farm, and you snapped peas on the farm, right? Okay, so I would go to my grandmother's house when I was a kid, and they would, you know, bring in all these peas, and there'd be buckets and buckets of peas, and we'd have to sit there and and and, and snap peas, right? Or uh, my granddad would put hay up in the barn, right? And so here we were as like middle school kids, and he's like, hey. I don't know what you were doing today, but you're not anymore because you're coming to help me put hay up in the barn, right? And I remember at the time thinking, man, this is an imposition on me, right? This is not what I want to be doing. I want to do my own thing. Here's the funny thing, though. Man, what I I wouldn't give to be back there sitting on my grandmother's porch snapping beans with her, right? Or to be up in a hayloft as granddaddy sent hay bales up the conveyor belt that we would stack in the barn, right? I would love to be back there. Right. I would love to to be a part of that again. Right. So I didn't realize that then I thought this is a thing that's keeping me from living my life how I want to live it. And yet what I realized is it's actually what belonging and peace and happiness looked like. I just didn't know that at the time. man. that's what we're talking about when we're talking about holiness. Right. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about blamelessness and being a part of God's family. That thing that you think is a burden is actually your belonging. And you can buck it, um, and you can be your own person, and you can rebel against it, and you can be the black sheep if you want to. But you are swimming against the current of God's love for you. And it will not bring happiness. It can't bring happiness. It will be fruitless exertion that ends up leading to isolation. Right? But here's the deal. The Father has chosen you. He doesn't want that for your life. He wants you to be adopted into his family. He wants to destroy the isolation and the alienation that you felt all your life. You need to belong, and God welcomes you into his family. That's what we see in that first little section, okay? And there's a whole bunch more there. We can go any number of ways and talk about any number of phrases in there, but, but we're just going to take some pieces out of this thing as we move, move along. So family... Another thing he gives us, another F, is forgiveness. We have forgiveness. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Have you ever considered what your greatest fear is? Have you ever thought about what your greatest fear is? So my kids uh, are real big fans of the Harry Potter series, right? Alice finished the last Harry Potter book yesterday, and they watched the last movie last night. So she's done with the series, which is kind of sad a little bit. But um, there's these things in the Harry Potter books called boggarts. Does anybody remember the boggarts? There's a scene where the, the students have to stand before this trunk, and they open the trunk, and there's a boggart in there. And what the boggart does is it knows what your greatest fear is. And it, when it comes out, it takes on the form of your greatest fear. 
And so when, when Harry gets up there, a Dementor comes out. And when Ron comes up there, it's a giant spider. And when Hermione gets up there, it's a failing grade. Okay? Um, because she's a nerd, right? And, and all of these things you go, okay, I'm going to be honest, when, when, those, when I read that part in the book or saw it in the movie or whatever, I was like, these are dumb fears, right? A giant spider is a dumb fear. Um, you might not like spiders, but a, a, a spider is a dumb thing to be your ultimate fear. A couple years later, um, I saw uh, this, this movie, uh, BFG. Did anybody see BFG, Big Friendly Giant? It's based on the Raw Doll book, okay? And there is a scene in it where all this stuff happens. But anyway, the, 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 the job of the Big Friendly Giant is to harvest nightmares and dreams, right? So sometimes he gets a dream and he puts it in a bottle and it looks pretty and he sets it on a shelf. But also sometimes he gets nightmares. And he harvests a nightmare one time. And, and he's kind of trying to be very gentle with it and take care of it. And somebody asks, well, what is that? And he says, well, it's the worst nightmare. It's, it's the nightmare that is above all nightmares, okay? And so immediately you're like, all right, failing grades, you know, giant spiders, you know, something like that or whatever. And then the, the kid asks the BFG, the big friendly giant, what that nightmare is. And he says this, it's to look at what you've done. And know that there is no forgiveness. And when I saw that in that movie, I went, whoa. Like, this is a children's movie. You know, back up. Pump the brake a little bit. Like, that's heavy, okay? Um, because that is, right? And, and as I thought about it, I thought, I can't think of anything worse than that. To recognize what you've done and that there is no forgiveness. Okay? That's a nightmare. That is the nightmare. That it should be your greatest fear. Okay? And yet, God offers forgiveness. Your worst fear has been mitigated by, by God's goodness, by what he has done. Okay? We have a culture that is running as quick as it can from guilt and shame. Right? We don't want to have anything to do with guilt and shame. We want to live in a world um, that is free of those things. Right? We are trying our darndest to get away from them. I don't want to have any guilt because I'm not beholden to anybody else's laws. And I don't want to have any shame because you can't tell me I can't live as I please. Okay? Except the problem is this. There is guilt. That's a real thing. It's not just in your head. It's not just an emotional experience. There is real guilt. There is real shame. You should feel shame about things. Notice the language of, of the scriptures when it talks about trespasses. We have forgiveness of our trespasses. What is a trespass? It means you have gone over a line, right? You weren't sitting at your house one day and some mean old God showed up and said, hey, I know I didn't have anything to do with your life, but you've got to obey my rules or something, right? He's not imposing these things on you. That's not the nature of your sin, okay? You are a trespasser. That means you saw the sign, you knew the line, and you went across it anyway, all right? That's the situation you're in. You're the person who has um, intentionally gone beyond what was, what was expected and what was commanded of you, right? We trans... Uh, we trespass, we transgress God's law. That is, we move beyond it. We move across it. And that's the reason why repentance is so necessary for our salvation, right? We have to come to grips with our sin. We have to come to grips with our shame. We have to come to grips with our guilt. And you can try to pretend like you're not responsible for it, and you can pretend like um, it's not a big thing, but the guilt persists, 
right? You can't ignore it. You can't justify it. You cannot escape it. And yet, you can be forgiven of it. You can be redeemed from it, brought back, debt paid, right? Jesus, through the shedding of his own blood, and I love the word, lavishes forgiveness on you, right? According to the inexhaustible riches of his grace. He just pours it out on you. That's incredible. That wording is nuts there. Forgiveness is our greatest point of need, certainly one of our greatest points of need. And God has met us there through a cross and an empty tomb. Okay? And so we have family through God. We have forgiveness through God. We have, three, a future with God. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purposes of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So I'll give this to atheists, right? Um, they're brave. Atheists are brave people because it takes courage to believe in nothing. To stake everything, right? Life, meaning, eternity on the belief that there is nothing after you die, right? Dirt and darkness forever. That's, you gotta be a pretty brave person. To believe that. I'll, I'll give it to them. Here's the thing. You can't live like that. And nobody really does live like that. Nobody actually lives like there is nothing after this. And you weren't meant to live like that. Right? You weren't meant to live like this life is all that there is. Because it isn't all that there is. You need a future. And you have one. Specifically, you have a great inheritance that God has granted. And so it has been demonstrated over and over again throughout history in various ways and, and, and historical anecdotes and psychological studies about the idea of this, that when we have a hope laid before us, when we know that there is something out there that we are working towards and we'll get there one day and things will be better, that it changes who we are. Right, And the person without hope, the person who has nothing to live for and nothing to shoot for, all of a sudden... that. It's two different lives, right? You have two different kinds of lives from those things. God knows that we need a future. God knows that we need a hope. And he has given us that hope in terms of an inheritance, right? And so what that does for us at least is that for the few years of, of hardship and heartache that we have, who cares, right, when we have a kingdom to gain, when one day we are going to step into this, this inheritance that is going to make all the bad things come untrue. So Paul says, says it like this in Romans 8. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Right? That's exactly the, the truth that we have. Right? God says, I have something in store for you that you cannot even imagine. And it is already yours. I have already given it to you. It is your inheritance by right because of who you are in Christ. And so to think about 
that picture, right? To think that we have been trespassing criminals, traitors, that we have rebelled against our king and our father, and yet have been pardoned, no, not just pardoned, welcomed into the king's family as a son or daughter, no, not just that, but given an estate, given a future, given an inheritance. We are literally princes and princesses of the universe, okay? We will share in those things with Christ in all eternity. How? How is that possible that God would be so good to us? How is it possible that he would be so gracious to us? All right? And as we think about that, it's easy for us to go, man, this can't be true, right? This is just all, it's got to be pie in the sky, doesn't it? Because it's just too good to be true. And so then we get to the last F, and that is an assured faith. An assured faith. Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Right? All of this, our election, our redemption, our inheritance, would be somewhat tenuous, if it weren't for the sealing and the guarantee of the Holy Spirit, right? Again, we could, we might look at all this stuff and just go, man, I just don't know if it's ever going to, like, I, I mean, I want to believe it's going to be true, but I, I just can't know. I, I'm just nervous that it's not true. Um, and yet our faith and our trust in God is bolstered by this, right? By the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Notice a few things that we just read, right? When are you sealed with the Holy Spirit? When does that happen? When you heard the word of truth? the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. Right? From the moment you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit as belonging to God. Okay? No second um, anointing down the road. Okay? Not something that we go, well, you know, there's normal Christians, and then there's these special class of people who have come along who are actually filled with the Holy Spirit. No. From the moment you believed, you were filled with the Holy Spirit and sealed by the Holy Spirit. All right. And what does that mean to be sealed? Well, it's the same kind of idea in the Greek as a brand, right? That you would put a mark on an animal, like you know, a, like a, a rancher would put on on a, on a cattle or something like that, right? It's how you mark what belongs to you. So you are marked by God. You've been branded by God, not with an external brand on your flesh, but with an internal marking of the Spirit at the moment you believed. And that seal, that marking, that brand, functions as a guarantee of your inheritance, right? It is, again, that, that idea in the Greek carries this idea of a down payment. I think, I think the, uh, when Kyle read the passage at the beginning, it, that was the word they even used, right? This is your down payment for what God has in store for you. He has promised you these things, and he has given you the down payment. And if God has given you someone as precious as the Holy Spirit in your life, then how will he not also give you everything else that he has promised you? 
Okay, and so I was trying to, again, kind of an illustration, a, a, an archaic one maybe, but if you had, you know, some medieval kind of culture and you had the lord of, of, a, of an estate and he needed a son to be his heir, right? But maybe he didn't have any sons. He just had a daughter and his daughter couldn't inherit this, this uh, kingdom. And so he, he was going to have to find somebody who would be his, his son. And a, and, a, and a worthy, noble young man comes along and he says, you know what? You're the guy that I want to inherit my stuff. You're the guy that I want to be the person that I give all this to. But I'm not dead yet, right? I'm not just going to hand it over to you right now, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to go ahead and marry my daughter. Um, I want you to be my adopted son, adopted family member, and that when I die, all of my estate will be handed over to you, okay? And so there's this idea there that you would go, if the father is willing to entrust his own daughter to you in the now, then what would hold him back from giving you everything else that is of lesser value in the future, right? And so think about it like that. If God has, has been willing to give you the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit is in you and has sealed you already, man, the universe is, is second place to that, right? Um, uh, the, the world is, is second place to that. You have nothing that is of greater value in your life than the Holy Spirit. And if God has already sealed you with that, then why would we not believe that all these other things um, will come to us in due time? So those four things, family, forgiveness, a future, and an assured faith. When Paul starts talking about things, he erupts in praise for God, right? He just thinks about the massive, epic expanse of these things, and he can't help but give glory to God, give praise to God, acknowledge God's goodness and his wisdom and his grace to us, right? And so here's the deal, man. I think this is the case, and we'll close on this. We dwell too seldom on the blessings that we have in Christ, Right? It is easy to treat these things like they are common. It is easy to treat adoption like it is, that's just what God does. He just adopts us into his family, right? It's easy to do that with forgiveness. It's easy to do that with the hope and the future that we have, right? It's easy to do that with the assurance of faith that we have in our lives. It's easy to just treat these things as if they are common. And yet when Paul thinks about them, he breaks form and gushes with this with this blessing saying, right, um, this, this prayer of praise um, to God for everything that he has done. So here's what I'd encourage you to do. Three things, right? Number one, meditate on these things, right? Meditate on what God has done for you. Let it well up in you until, like Paul, it pours over in praise, right? Read good stuff about these things. Read God's word first and let it speak to you. But then listen to other wise, uh, thoughtful people who have dwelled on these things and read their thoughts about them and let those things stir you up and encourage you um, until you are, are, praise God. Um, two, rest in these things, right? Let it give you the grace and the peace that God wants for your life. That's how we started this thing. Do you remember? In, in verse 2, it says, grace and peace to you from God our Father, right? That's what God wants for your life. He wants it to be a life of grace and a life of peace. And these things encourage us in those things. They give us a, 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 a rest and an ability to abide no matter the circumstances of our lives. And three, I want you to act from them, 
right? Let it be the solid ground on which you stand as you set out to follow God and to serve him, right? If these four things are true about you and your life, then, then what can we not do? What are we not ready for? You have every spiritual blessing in Christ. You have everything you need. You have a God who has always loved you, always wanted you, always been for you. The God who has chosen you from eternity past. You have a God who has redeemed you beyond anything that you could have expected or merited. He has rescued, redeemed, atoned, forgiven. He has lavished that forgiveness. What a word. He has saved you. You have a God who has given you a future, an inheritance. You have a stored up inheritance where moth cannot destroy, right? And rust cannot corrode. A hope that extends not just in here and now, but into eternity. And you have a God who gives you surety in all these things. Confidence, guarantee, seal. Down payment, certainty, assurance, and an assurance that secures all of these things, your election, your salvation, and your future. That's the God that we worship in these things. That's the God that Paul is pointing us to, right? And so again, man, I hope you, um, I hope you feel the epicness of it. Like, I hope you feel the grandeur of what Paul does. How he begins this thing by just saying, man, God is so much better and so much bigger and so much more gracious than you could ever imagine and that I can even write about in a 202 word long sentence. All right. Let God use that in, in the coming weeks and months um, as we study this thing. Keep on looking back to this, okay? As we read about how God would have us to live, as we read about other things as we go throughout this book, always be looking back to this section. Always be reminding yourselves of what you have been blessed with already as we see how God wants us to live out um, this life that he has called us to. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And then I'm going to have uh, Cody and Jamie come back up and close us um, in, in worship. Father God, again, we thank you. God, uh, of all the words um, that, that, that we see in this, this passage, God, it's obvious that you want us to zoom in on this idea of, of in him, this, this idea of to the praise um, of, of your glory, um, God, to, to the ideas of your sovereign will and wisdom. And yet, the one word that I continue to come back to is that word lavish. Um, God, that you have poured out your goodness and your blessing on us um, beyond anything that we could understand. God, you are... You are like the woman who broke open the, the jar of perfume worth, worth a year's salary on, on Jesus' head before his crucifixion. Um, you, have, you have poured immeasurable blessing out on our lives. And God, we are so prone to take it for granted, so prone to um, just treat it like it is common, like you are going to be good because that's what you do. God, never let us... Um, God, never let us take for granted these things. Turn our hearts back to you. God, let our own hearts erupt in praise as Paul has. Um, as we recognize your goodness, your glory. 
God, and we count you as blessed. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in the holy and precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.